Hello, my friends. How's it going? Welcome to D&D Optimized, part of the D4 network. This is the show where each week we take a deep dive into one, sometimes two, specific character builds for Dungeons & Dragons 5e, and we theorycraft about them, we crunch numbers about them, and basically try to create a character that is both very powerful, but more importantly, very fun to play in-game. So if you enjoy creating characters for D&D, almost as much as you enjoy playing the game itself, then welcome home. This is where you belong, and I'm super happy to have you, so thanks for being here. Uh, My name's Colby, and I'll be your host. Before we jump in, really quickly, just a reminder, if you like the video or think you might like the video, please hit the little like button down there in the corner. Uh, It really helps the algorithms and the YouTube-y things. And, you know, even consider subscribing if you're not, and even joining the channel to to offer additional support if you're a real big fan. (laughs) That's something that I especially appreciate, but I appreciate all of you. So anyway, thank you. Let's jump in. One very frequent request that I have always received since I started the channel over a year ago is to do a Storm Sorcerer Tempest Cleric combo build. And you know what? I get it. Anytime I'm playing like a video game where you have an like an elemental mage as an option, usually you get to choose between like fire spells, cold spells, and lightning spells, right? When I'm in that situation, My favorite is always the lightning spells. I'm not really sure why. There's just something I think super appealing about being this like master of the storms where the winds obey you. You can basically like capture lightning in a bottle and then unleash its destructive wrath on your foes. For those of us who are interested in playing this type of character, a marriage of like the storm sorcerer and the tempest cleric seems at first glance anyway, like a match made in heaven does it not? There's only one little problem, however, and it's that, mechanically speaking, at least, the Storm Sorcerer just kind of (laughs) sucks. I'm sorry, don't hate me, but it's, it's just true. The thing that bothers me the most about it, I think, is that there's nothing that actually increases the damage you do with lightning or thunder spells in the Storm Sorcerer features. You do get one little ability that gives you a little bump to your damage, but I would expect that if you are the mistress of the storm, right, that your storm-based spells would be at least a little more potent than other sorcerers, but they're really not. In fact, for this reason, the one time that I made a real, like, lightning-focused sorcerer character, the, uh, the sorcerer with the magic touch, which you can find there, I opted to go with the Draconic Soul Sorcerer as opposed to the Storm because they can at least get a little more damage out of their lightning spells if they choose the right Draconic Ancestor. I kind of talked about this little conundrum in that video in a little more detail. If you want to check it out, go ahead. And yet, the requests for this combo continue to come in. And again, like I say, I get it. Sometimes you want to, in fact, I'm going to say, most of the time, or for some of us, all of the time, you want to make a character based on a, like a theme and a concept, right? And not just on what's going to get you the biggest numbers. I feel like most of the builds that I do on this channel are sort of with that kind of goal and mentality, right? Where the, the character concept comes first, and then let's try to sort of make the character as 
powerful as possible working within sort of the confines of the character concept that we've created. Not always, but most of the time, and particularly in the last, I don't know, six, eight months. And so this week, I'm finally just saying, screw it. I want to be the ultimate storm-focused character. I want to stand in the eye of the hurricane and smite my foes with the wrath of the tempest. I want to ride the wind, and I want to make my enemies tremble at the sheer awesomeness of my lightning blasts and deafening thunder. This concept is important to my character's story, so I'm going to combine these two subclasses and find a way to make them as awesome as I can. To that end, then, I'm finally going to commit to the Storm Sorcerer because I, like many of you, love the theme and the concept of this character idea. Now, because of the way that the features work for this combination of subclasses, especially the Tempest Cleric portion, I think that this character is better suited to like a burst or nova damage build, meaning that we will be looking for a way to do as much damage as we possibly can in like a single round of combat at the expense of using up some or most of our like really valuable limited resources in order to try to like totally wipe out an enemy hopefully early in the fight to turn the tables of the combat in our party's favor that's kind of the point of a nova damage or burst damage build right and so i am proud to present episode 60 the storm sorcerer tempest cleric but before we jump into the build i wanted to give a quick plug for the sponsor of the video this week, Roll for Combat's new Battle Zoo books that they recently launched a Kickstarter for. It fully funded in less than an hour. I talked about these books last week as well. There are three books as part of this Kickstarter project, the Bestiary, the Ancestry Dragons book, and the Adventure Campaign uh, Indigo Isles. All of the books are edited and created by some of the lead designers for the Pathfinder TTRPG system. But the cool thing about these books is that they are actually compatible with both the Pathfinder rule set and Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition rule sets. Now, last week I talked a bit about the monster parts system that lets you like take parts from the monsters that you kill, like their wings or their claws or their fangs or their venom, etc., and actually use those things to upgrade your own gear, which I really love, super unique. This week, I wanted to highlight a couple of new subclasses that are included in the bestiary that are specifically designed to help you take advantage of this new monster part system that they've created. The Monster Mage, which is a wizard subclass, naturally, and the Vestige Hunter, which is a ranger subclass. The Monster Mage basically can increase their own spell list by slaying monsters who have innate spellcasting abilities. So here's a brief excerpt from the book. Wizards study tomes in their towers and sorcerers rely on the power they were born to running through their blood. But you forge a different path. You search the world for monsters and defeat them to learn their spells. If you can slay enough monsters, your collection might grow larger than anything those other spellcasters can imagine. Not only can you gain additional spells in this way, but as you gain levels, those spells that you learn from your victims that you slay can actually become more powerful when used against those same types of creatures that you got the spells from in the first place. As for the Vestige Hunter, they are kind of like the quintessential monster hunter predator, built to take extra advantage of all the ways that characters can imbue and enhance their gear via the monster part system, letting you do things like breathe underwater by attaching the gills of an aquatic monster that you've killed 
to your armor. Here's a little excerpt from what we read. Adventurers of all stripes defeat and kill monsters as part of their quests and missions, but you've realized that most of them let their foes' remains go to waste. You retain vestiges of your fallen foes, trophies and mementos imbued with a bit of occult magic by the connection you shared during your battle to the death. As you incorporate these vestiges into your gear, they grant you special benefits you can use to fight with the ferocity of your fallen foes. So a very almost Witcher-esque feel to this subclass, I think. Anyway, you should absolutely back this Kickstarter. I think it actually ends in a couple of days as of this recording, so act quickly. Check the video description for a link to the Kickstarter, and a huge thanks to everyone at Roll for Combat Thanks for supporting the channel over the last couple of weeks. Best of luck with the new books, and let's jump into the build. Except, you guys, I almost forgot. Check out the artwork for this character by my friend Randall Hampton. Oh my gosh, it's freaking amazing. It looks like some fantastic electric drow Doctor Strange or something. I absolutely love it. I think it might be my favorite yet. So um, thanks, Randall, as always, and be sure to follow him. You can see how to do that in the video description down below. So anyway, I love it. It's awesome. And now let's jump into the build. All right, at level one, we're going to start off with Sorcerer. I wanted to start Sorcerer mostly because I wanted proficiency in Constitution saving throws, and Sorcerers get that, and therefore our concentration checks, right? But there's also a spell that I want that Sorcerers get, that Clerics don't, that we're going to use for um, our Nova Round or our burst damage. As for the race that we're going to pick, I'm going to suggest that we go with the Half-Elf, the drow half-elf variant here. I love half-elves for a number of reasons. Their sap bonuses are amazing, for one. Access to elven accuracy, for another. But for this build, I'm particularly interested in the drow half-elf because of their drow magic ability. So we start off with the Dancing Lights cantrip, and then at third level, we can also cast Fairy Fire. And at fifth level, we can cast Darkness. Charisma is our spellcasting ability for these spells, which is great. Now, as it's written, we can only cast these spell-slotted spells once per long rest. I have a word to say about that. Every feat, feature, or racial ability that has come out as official content from Wizards of the Coast in the last year plus that gives you access to a spell, so far as I'm aware, tells us that we can cast the spell once per day without using a spell slot, and thereafter we can use spell slots to cast them if we have them. For that reason, I have to believe that the vast majority of Dungeon Masters who are familiar with this fact and allow, you know, recent Wizards of the Coast content in their campaigns would allow you to do the same thing here with the Drow magic ability. I may be overly optimistic. Feel free to tell me why that's not true in the comments, because half-elves are balanced around only being able to use it once per day, as opposed to, say, fairies, for example, who just came out a week or so ago as official content from Wizards of the Coast, who also get access to the fairy fire spell and can use it once per day without spending a spell slot, but then can use spell slots thereafter if they want to. Oh, and they can fly. But if your DM is going to hold fast to the once per day rule here, I would probably consider like an alternative race, like the Mark of Finding Human or Half-Orc from the Eberron book, who just straight up get the spell added to their spell list. Kobold might be another option for like semi-reliable 
advantage without needing fairy fire in the first place. There's some potential drawbacks to kobold. I love them, but you know, sunlight sensitivity is a potential problem. Needing to have your enemy close to an ally could be somewhat problematic for us, as especially we might be using area of effect spells and we don't want to hurt our allies, right? Among other things. Plus, it, it is a worse stat bonus. You only get a plus two to one stat. Actually, the new race that just came out a week ago, like I say, fairy, would be probably my second favorite pick here. Or you could even consider sticking with half elf, but like taking a single level dip in another class that gets access to uh, the spell. We weren't planning on doing that, but Bard might be the best option for that if you want to consider doing so. Anyway, I'm just going to assume that we're moving forward with Half-Elf. As for our ability scores, using the point by system, as always, I'm going to suggest we take a 15 in Charisma and take our plus 2 there, so we're at a 17. Then a 13 Wisdom plus 1, so 14 total. A 13 Constitution plus 1 for 14 total. And then a 14 Dex. That's a pretty nice stat line. As far as equipment goes, I think we ought to go with the gold buy option here and buy ourselves some scale mail armor and a shield, neither of which we can currently use. <laughs> I don't know, they were relics from the temple given you by the priest who told you that soon you would learn their true worth. We will be using them shortly, so just hang on for a level. Buy your other necessities and stay alive. Then of course at level 1 as a sorcerer we get some spells. We get cantrips and first level spells. I think if it were me, I would make sure to like take all of the lightning and thunder spells that I could in the interest of being true to the theme. And there are some pretty decent useful ones that, that qualify, right? You've got gust, you've got lightning lure, you've got shocking grasp, you've got thunder wave. The only one that I'm really going to say we've got to take this spell is chromatic orb. And that's going to be our go-to spell for our Nova round for much of our career, maybe even all of our career. With chromatic orb, you hurl a sphere of energy at a target within 90 feet, choosing what kind of damage the spell will do. It can be acid, cold, fire, poison, or of course, lightning or thunder. You make a ranged spell attack, and if it hits, you do 3d8 damage of the chosen damage type, and then it scales by an additional d8 for every level that you upcast it. So it's pretty nice scaling, and it's a pretty great just on-demand lightning or thunder spell right at level 1. Then at level 1, of course, sorcerers get their subclass, their sorceress origin, and naturally we're going with the storm sorcery origin. So here's what we read about storm sorcerers. Your innate magic comes from the power of elemental air. Many with this power can trace their magic back to a near-death experience caused by the great rain, but perhaps you were born during a howling gale so powerful that folk still tell stories of it. Or your lineage might include the influence of potent air creatures such as jinn. Whatever the case, the magic of the storm permeates your being. I like to think for this character that we might be descended from a powerful air creature, like it says, but maybe one who is in the service of like a divine being that's affiliated with the storm, like Thor or Kord, something like that. As a storm sorcerer, at level one, we get two features. We get wind speaker, which is essentially some extra languages. You get primordial and its dialects. Okay. And then we get tempestuous magic. And this feature is just not great. <laughs> I mean, okay, so before or after you cast a spell of first level or higher, 
you can fly up to 10 feet without provoking opportunity attacks. If it were usable on a cantrip as well, it would be pretty decent. If it didn't require a bonus action to use, it would be pretty great, I think. But having to spend your bonus action and having it only usable on like a spell slotted spell, it just makes it pretty limiting. I mean, sure, there will be times where you will want to use it to disengage from an enemy that's in melee range, right? And then be able to make a spell attack without disadvantage because they were up in your grill. And so, okay, it's like a really like weak and more expensive version of like the rogue's cunning action. It just, it, it makes me a little sad. We'll use it. There will be times in our career where we will be happy to have it. At level two, we're going to jump right into our cleric levels here because we want to get access to our most important burst damage feature as quickly as possible and also improve our tankiness. So as a creature who can trace their lineage and power back to a divine servant of the god of the storm, you are, I think, naturally drawn to worship that god. You maybe have even been raised by clerics of that god. Perhaps they even regard you with a bit of reverence and awe themselves, one who wields the tempestuous magic of the deity they worship. So at level one, clerics also get their subclass, their divine domain, and of course we are going with the Tempest domain. And here's what we read about that. Gods whose portfolios include the Tempest domain, including Talos, Umberly, Kord, Zeboim, the, De the Devourer, Zeus, and Thor, govern storms, sea, and sky. They include gods of lightning and thunder, gods of earthquakes, some fire gods, and certain gods of violence, physical strength, and courage. In some pantheons, a god of this domain rules over other deities and is known for swift justice delivered by thunderbolts. In the pantheons of seafaring people, gods of this domain are ocean deities and the patrons of sailors. Tempest gods send their clerics to inspire fear in the common folk, either to keep those folk on the path of righteousness, or to encourage them to offer sacrifices of propitiation to ward off divine wrath. Like I said, these two subclasses are just a match made in heaven. Pun intended, at least thematically, right? So. We get some bonus proficiencies. As a Tempest Cleric, we get we get Shield and Medium Armor proficiency when we multi-class into Cleric, so it's time to equip that stuff that you've been carrying around for a level. Now, Tempest Clerics also get proficiency in Heavy Armor and Martial Weapons, but we're probably not gonna make much use of that just yet. We might later. I mean, at this point, Chainmail Armor would give you a 16 armor class, right? And that's the same as Scale Mail Armor, plus two from your dexterity bonus. Of course, later on, plate mail, the best heavy armor you can get is going to be one better than the best medium armor you can get, half plate plus our dexterity bonus. But of course, it comes with a strength requirement, which we will not meet, which means that if we were to equip that heavy armor, our move speed would be penalized by 10, so we'd have a 20 move speed. Of course, you could have gone with a dwarf race so that you didn't have to suffer that move penalty, but dwarves only have a 25 movement speed innately, so we're really just talking about a five feet move speed difference. Anyway, when it comes time to have access to plate, you make the call. 
As a Tempest Cleric, we get the Wrath of the Storm feature, first of all, and that tells us that Wisdom Modifier times per day, which is only two for us, we can use our reaction to do 2d8 lightning or thunder damage to an enemy within five feet if they hit us with an attack, barring a dexterity saving throw. It's a nice little hellish rebuke, lightning edition. And of course we get cleric spells here, cantrips and first level cleric spells. And, you know, aside from the usual suspects, guidance, bless, cure wounds, healing word, I think um, create or destroy water is particularly thematic, allowing us to briefly like make it rain or destroy fog, among other things. Because of our lowish wisdom score, Obviously, I'm going to recommend that most of the cleric spells we take throughout our career be ones that don't require the enemy to make a saving throw or for us to make a spell attack with them, but that are just sort of buffs that you can apply or even debuffs that you can apply that just automatically take effect. At level 3, we are a cleric 2, like all clerics and paladins for that matter, we get channel divinity and we have two options for it. It's usable once per short rest for now, and can be used to either turn undead or one other option based on our divine domain. As for turn undead, as an action, you can force all undead within 30 feet to make a wisdom saving throw, or they are turned for one minute, meaning it basically has to spend its turn running away from you. As for the option that we get with the Tempest domain, it's the infamous Destructive Wrath. <laughs> When you roll lightning or thunder damage, you can use your channel divinity to just deal max damage instead of rolling, and that is awesome. We also, because of multiclassing, now have access to second level spell slots, keep that in mind, so our chromatic orb would now do 4d8 if we upcast it. So for now, our burst round is basically this. Upcast chromatic orb at the second level, choose lightning or thunder for the damage type, and then use destructive wrath if it hits for 32 damage. Not bad for third level. At level four, it's time to go back to sorcerer, I think, for a little bit. At sorcerer two, we get our sorcery points now, font of magic. We get one sorcery point per level, which we'll be using shortly to fuel those meta magic options. But don't forget, of course, that we can also use these sorcery points to convert them into additional spell slots. At level five, we are a sorcerer three. We get second level sorcerer spells, first of all. And again, you're gonna want the usual suspects, right? Misty step, hold person, invisibility. But my favorite, thematic spell here is Gust of Wind, which tells us as an action, while you're concentrating on it, it blasts a strong wind from you in a 60-foot line that's 10 feet wide. It extinguishes flames, it pushes creatures away from you barring a strength saving throw, and it makes those creatures move at half speed if they move towards you. Super cool. And of course, as a third level sorcerer, we get metamagic. Um, we get to pick two options to enhance our spells with, and I'm going to take Quicken Spell, as usual, which lets us cast a spell that normally requires an action as a bonus action. It costs two sorcery points, so it's not cheap, but it is very important for our Nova round. I would also, I think, take Transmuted Spell. It's a new metamagic option from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. I gotta stop saying new. And it allows us to change the damage type of a spell from one type to another, so long as we're changing it from and to acid, cold, fire, lightning, poison, or thunder. This is going to be super useful if we have a spell of one type, usually lightning or thunder, of course, in our case, but that an enemy maybe has resistance or immunity to. Or 
more commonly for us, it will be useful if we want to take a really powerful spell that's not lightning or thunder and make it lightning or thunder so we can take advantage of our fantastic destructive wrath ability. At level 6, we're going to go sorcerer level 4. Assuming that we stuck with half elf as our race, I want to take elven accuracy for the ability score increase or feat that we get here. Remember, we're planning on having regular advantage thanks to fairy fire and elven accuracy is super powerful when you have advantage essentially allowing you to roll three d20s to see if you hit instead of two right so long as you're making an attack with dexterity wisdom intelligence or charisma which we are and yes this applies to all attacks including spell attacks it also very importantly allows us to bump one of our abilities by one and of course we're going to take charisma so we now have an 18 charisma which makes us super happy so let's do a damage report for level six this is what our nova round is going to look like right now round one we're going to cast fairy fire right and it's not a bad round one remember fairy fire how it works is it's a 20-foot cube and all enemies within that area have to make a wisdom save if they fail it they are kind of illuminated in a glow. You can see them if they try and go invisible, basically. But then any attacks that are made against them have advantage. So this is something that's going to help your entire team, ideally on multiple enemies. It requires your concentration, but I think it's not a bad use of our action. Then in round two, we're going to use Quicken Spell on Chromatic Orb, cast it at the third level because we have third level spell slots now, meaning that it would normally do 5d8 damage of lightning or thunder but then of course we're going to apply destructive wrath if it hits making it a flat 40 damage then as your action you're going to cast firebolt as a cantrip for 2d10 more damage remember if you cast a spell as a bonus action the only other spell you can use that turn is a cantrip with a casting time of one action right so I say go firebolt it's going to do 2d10 damage told the dead does 2d12 if the enemy is missing some hit points but it's a wisdom save and the dc to make that wisdom save is based on your wisdom modifier you know firebolt on the other hand even if it's slightly less damage dice wise it's an attack which means it can crit first of all and if fairy fire stuck you thus have triple advantage and you are much better off with firebolt just generally speaking. And so, against an enemy with a 10 armor class, you would on average do 58 damage in that Nova round. And against an enemy with a 15 armor class, it's just slightly less, 55 damage. That's not amazing compared to other burst damage builds that I've done. Check in the video description to see those compared to one another. You know, it's in the bottom half when compared, but it's not terrible and it's going to get better. At level 7, I'm anxious to get back to Cleric and other things, uh, but I would feel very irresponsible if I didn't take just one more Sorcerer level here so that we could get 3rd level spells. Because 3rd level spells are so good. So, what 3rd level spells should we take? I know what you're thinking. From now on, we're going to be using Lightning Bolt instead of Chromatic Orb. But you know what's crazy? We might not want to do that. Here's the thing. 
Chromatic Orb has you make a spell attack, right? As such, Chromatic Orb can get a critical hit, like we just mentioned. And let's remember how critical hits work. If you get a critical hit, you get to double the damage dice for the attack. Let's also remember how Destructive Wrath works. When you roll lightning or thunder damage, like if you get a critical hit with a lightning spell, for example, and thus we're rolling twice the dice, you can use your channel divinity to deal maximum damage instead of rolling. Because of this, and because I'm assuming that we are attacking on our Nova round with advantage, and thanks to Elven Accuracy, triple advantage, we would have a 14.26% chance to get a critical hit with Chromatic Orb. So even though it does less damage when it doesn't crit than Lightning Bolt would at this level, when it does crit 14.26% of the time, it will hit for a boatload more damage. As a result, on average, statistically speaking, you're better off using Chromatic Orb for a single target than you are Lightning Bolt. Now, of course, Lightning Bolt can hit multiple targets, right? It's a 100 foot line, five feet wide. And so if you can do that without hitting your friends, you're probably better off using Lightning Bolt, depending on the situation, depending on how many hit points your enemies have, all those things, because doing a max damage lightning bolt on multiple enemies is super awesome. But on the other hand, if the enemy or enemies have high dexterity saving throws and they're only gonna take half damage, maybe not. Anyway, in the end, I'm trying to, like with this character, max my single target damage for burst and Nova, right? So when I crunch the numbers, I'm going to assume that we are still using Chromatic Orb. You go ahead and take the more reasonable path when it's appropriate. Oh, and of course, while you're at it, don't forget that you could cast Fireball if it would hit more enemies than Lightning Bolt. Fireball is a 20-foot radius sphere as opposed to a line, right? And generally speaking, the circle is going to hit more targets than the line will. And then you could just transmute that Fireball to Lightning or Thunder damage thanks to our transmuted spell, Metamagic. And then Destructive Wrath, that Lightning Ball for unlimited power. Just remember, you can't quicken a fireball and transmute it, right? Because like most metamagic options, quicken and transmute can't be applied to the same spell. So that's not necessarily something that we would be able to do in our Nova round, right? Quickening a spell and then using our action to cast a cantrip. But it could be done and could very well be the best thing for you to use your Destructive Wrath feature for. As for the other spells to take here, third level spells, there are Frankly, too many good ones to name. Counterspell, of course, Dispel Magic, Fly, Hypnotic Pattern. Of particular interest to our Master of the Storm uh, would be, I think, Sleet Storm, um, Thunderstep, Tidal Wave, Wall of Water, all of which are pretty good spells, I think, uh, depending on the situation. I do not envy you the difficult choice you'll have to make here. But having too many good options is a nice problem to have. Uh, keep in mind too that we now have fourth level spell slots for upcasting purposes. At level eight, we are a cleric level three and I, I don't want to delay our cleric levels any longer, so we're going to go back to cleric for a bit. We get as a cleric level three, second level cleric spells. Again, you know, probably not going to want to take 
like spiritual weapon because it's using our wisdom modifier to make attacks. The two that I would most strongly recommend here would be aid, which lets you give temporary hit points to you and or your allies for eight hours, and lesser restoration, which can remove things like blind, deafen, paralyzed, poison. You know, in case it wasn't already obvious, let me just emphasize something that I might not do a good enough job of emphasizing in my builds sometimes. The aim with this character, and pretty much all of my characters for that matter, is not to necessarily create like a one-trick pony. It's typically to optimize them for one thing, yes, that they can do really well, whether that's sustained damage, burst damage, tanking, support, but then like trust you guys to understand that you will want to fill your quiver with other arrows, as it were. So with this character, right, never forget that even though you are able to do really nice Nova damage to a single target, you are still a cleric and a sorcerer, right? So yes, you should absolutely turn undead when you run into a room filled with skeletons. Heal your unconscious allies, of course. Remove their paralysis, buff them. And of course, if there's a room full of enemies who are positioned just right, you should let fly with a transmuted lightning ball that does max damage and like wipes out an, an entire room. The variety and diversity of what you're capable of doing is part of what makes multiclassing so fun, right? Especially if you're a spellcaster. Moving on, at level 9, we are a cleric level 4, and we get another ability score increase or feat. I would love to have my charisma capped, so we're going to bump our charisma, and now we're at 20 charisma, which feels great. We do also now have 5th level spell slots. As for the damage report at level 9, tactics-wise, we're basically doing the same thing as last time. We are quickening chromatic orb, using it as lightning or thunder, casting it at max level, which would be 78, but then applying destructive wrath means 56 damage on that chromatic orb. And we have a 20 charisma, so a better chance at hitting. Firebolt still just does 2d10. And thus, against an enemy with a 10 armor class, we would do 77 damage on average. And against an enemy with a 16 armor class, it would be 76 damage on average. Man, I love elven accuracy. At level 10, we are a cleric level 5 and we get third level cleric spells. My favorites here would be Revivify. Of course, you're a cleric, you better be able to bring somebody back from the dead. And I really love motivational speech. It gives temporary hit points like aid, but has some additional benefits. And for this character, I also really like Water Walk. As a true mistress of the storm, you better well be able to walk on water. And best of all, this spell can be cast as a ritual, and you can give the same benefit to nine of your friends. And they're guaranteed not to sink in the water just for lacking faith. Just a little Jesus Peter joke there for you. I really hope I don't get struck by lightning for that joke. Sorry. We also, as a Cleric 5, get Destroy Undead. If an undead creature is challenge rating one half or lower and they fail their save against your turn undead, they're simply destroyed. That's freaking awesome on the rare occasion that you might actually get to take advantage of it. At level 11, we are a cleric level 6. Uh, we have a 6 level spell slot now, and we get some great things at cleric 6. First up, we can use our channel divinity twice per short rest now, and that's a pretty big deal. We could now, if we wanted, and I'm not really suggesting that we do this, but we could burn both channel divinities in a single turn 
if we did lightning or thunder damage with both our action and our bonus action, right? So yeah, you could transmute Firebolt and then have it do max damage and Firebolt right now does 3d10, so that's 30 more flat damage, not bad. We'll explore that a little more in a second, but if we decide not to do this and, and blow both of, both of our channel divinities on a single turn, it can instead give us like two good Nova rounds per short rest, which is actually a lot more than most of my Nova damage builds end up with. So even if our numbers might be a little bit lower than like the other Nova damage builds I've created, the increased frequency makes the like overall burst damage over a couple of rounds as good as or better than the rest, which is fun. And then of course we also get Thunderbolt Strike and Man, I wish we could have gotten to this ability sooner. I, I wish that the Tempestuous Magic feature from Storm Sorcery worked this well, but because it requires a bonus action, it's poopy. So Thunderbolt Strike really potentially changes things for us from both a tactics and a damage perspective here. Now, when we deal lightning damage to a target, it's a little silly that it's not lightning and thunder in my opinion, but we can push that target up to 10 feet away from us if it's large or smaller. They don't get any save or anything. This is nice in and of itself to potentially get some distance between you and an enemy, but we're really going to start taking advantage of this tactically and for damage purposes next level, because at level 12, we're going to take a very short detour away from Sorcerer and Cleric. Up until this point, our character has probably been using a shield and no weapon, right? Just casting spells for their action and their bonus action, which has been nice for our survivability. But something happens at this point in our character's career that introduces a change. A weapon has entered our character's story. Perhaps, ideally, we've been carrying it with us this entire time, as it has been handed down to us through generations of our stormy ancestors. Or perhaps it was a, an ancient relic of your stormy demigod ancestor that was enshrined at the temple where we were raised, along with the shield and the armor that we were given. Until now, you have never unsheathed this sword. But something happens in your story here that forces you to draw it. And upon doing so, you enter a pact to serve the being who has imbued this weapon with their power. Regardless of your character's reason, yes, we're going to take a single level of Warlock here. And here's the thing. In order to really take advantage of that Thunderbolt Strike that we just gained, I think we need to be making a weapon attack now. And if we are a charisma-based spellcaster who also needs to make weapon attacks, it's just so much more efficient to take a Hexblade dip. Now, sure, we could find a way to pick up Shillelagh instead, but that would make us need to use wisdom on our attack, so it just completely changes the character, right? So no, you don't have to take a Hexblade dip here if you don't want to, but we are. So at level one, warlocks also get their subclass, their otherworldly patron. And like I mentioned, we're gonna go with Hexblade and we get a lot here for a single level. So at level one, we get our most important feature, I think for this character out of, out of warlock, which is Hex Warrior. It gives us proficiency with medium armor, shields and martial weapons, which we already had. And it also lets us channel our will through a particular weapon, so long as that weapon lacks the two-handed property 
Now, there's no prohibition against a weapon having the versatile property, nor against using two hands to make a weapon attack. So for us, we want to be using a longsword now, but do so with two hands. A longsword is versatile, and if we use two hands to make an attack, we get a d10 damage out of it. Conversely, of course, you could go with a one-handed weapon and a shield, but since we don't have the warcaster feat, that's going to present some challenges for us for spellcasting. So if you're going to go that route, you're probably going to need to pick up Warcaster. But then, thanks to this feature, we can use our Charisma modifier for hit and for damage when we are using that weapon. This is incredibly powerful for us for what we want to do. We also, as a Hexblade, get Hexblade's Curse, which is really nice for really pretty much any burst damage build. Once per short rest, as a bonus action, we can curse one creature that we can see within 30 feet of us. We curse them for one minute, meaning that attacks against them crit on a 19 or a 20. And we gain a bonus to damage rolls against them equal to our proficiency bonus, which right now is four. When they die, of course, we get to heal. It's our charisma modifier plus our warlock level in hit points. Now, don't discount how powerful that crit on a 19 or 20 part of Hexblade's curse is. Uh, again, like I've said, we can crit with our chromatic orb and just do double max damage. Now, with Hexblade's curse and elven accuracy, we have a 27% chance to crit, and that's huge. And of course, we also get warlock spells. We get some cantrips, some first level spells. I'm going to recommend above all that we take Booming Blade here, which we're going to be using now during our Nova round. Eldritch Blast is another kind of really nice go-to for ranged attacks. It's unique to Warlocks. I would probably pick up like Armor of Agathis for that reason as well. Being unique to Warlock, it you know gives us a nice little temporary hit point shield that returns damage to attackers. Uh, it doesn't cost concentration. Remember that at level one, Warlocks only get one spell slot, but it does reset on a short rest, so I can definitely see us making some consistent use of that first level spell slot for like the shield spell, things like that. Okay, so let's discuss tactics now. On round one, we pick a melee enemy and we're casting fairy fire as an action still, right? And then as a bonus action on round one, we're using Hexblade's curse on that enemy. Then on round two, we step up to that enemy and we cast booming blade as our action using a sorcery point and transmuting the spell from thunder to lightning. As most of you know, Booming Blade means we make a weapon attack with our longsword. I should weapon attack with our longsword. And if it hits, we do the weapon damage, of course, plus our charisma modifier of five because we're a Hexblade, plus 2d8 lightning damage, thanks to Booming Blade because we are level 11 now. Booming Blade does 2d8 on the initial attack and we transmuted it to lightning. And then since they took lightning damage, we activate Thunderbolt Strike to push the enemy 10 feet away from us. Now, we won't have disadvantage on our ranged spell attack as we hit them with a max level Chromatic Orb. If it hits, we could push them another 10 feet away from us if we wanted to, right? Assuming that we made it a Lightning Chromatic Orb, right? Both of these attacks are going to add our proficiency bonus in damage thanks to Hexblade's Curse, and both will crit on a 19 or 20. Now, on the enemy's turn, again, assuming that they are a melee enemy and don't have any better options, they are going to need to move up to make an attack against somebody. So they're gonna move and they're gonna take 3d8 lightning damage because we transmuted the spell. And thanks to the booming blade that we hit them with, right? If you wanted to, you could apply your channel divinity here uh, to do 24 damage. 
instead of an average of you know 13.5 that they would take when they move and take that lightning damage. Again, not saying that you should, but if we're exploring our total potential damage output in a single round, then yes, that's what we could do. And so yes, that's what I'm going to assume we do when I crunch the numbers again, even though you might be better off just holding on to that second channel divinity and using it on a second chromatic orb at another time. That's pretty awesome. And so the question becomes, if we're going to continue playing the game beyond level 12, where do we go from here? A big, big part of me is tempted to do the usual thing when you're building a character for Nova or Burst damage, right? You take a couple of fighter levels, and there's definitely a good argument for doing this because Action Surge is awesome. And basically for us here, it would give us another booming blade attack on our Nova round uh, for a nice little damage bump. And then after that, of course, you'd want to take a couple levels of Paladin so you could pick up Divine Smite, so you could smite on top of those booming blade attacks as well. From there, I think you probably finish out Fighter, getting a subclass, getting extra attack eventually, etc., etc. Doing this would improve our Nova damage drastically. And so if that's what you are most interested in, that's probably what you should do. You could also alternatively continue down the Warlock path. This would get you some nice invocations. It would get you a pact, among other things. Not a bad option. For me, I don't know. You know, I set out to create the best Storm Sorcerer Tempest Cleric that I could. And while, sure, most campaigns end by level 12, if not sooner, and I feel like we've done a pretty good job of doing that, going really heavily into like other classes here, just feels a little bit like cheating to me. <laughs> and that said, there is absolutely value in investing more into Sorcerer. We get more Sorcery points, another small bump to damage from a Storm Sorcery feature, and most importantly, better and higher level spells. Going this route will mean lower burst damage than we could otherwise obtain, but again, let's not discredit the value of the like control and utility and area damage that fourth and fifth level spells would bring us. So yes, I am going back to Sorcerer for the rest of our career. And so at level 13, we are a Sorcerer level six, and we get the Heart of the Storm feature. So we now have resistance to lightning and thunder damage. Okay, seems appropriate for a master of the storm, such as ourselves. And whenever we start casting a spell of first level or higher that deals lightning or thunder damage, stormy, stormy magic, magic erupts from us, from dealing lightning or thunder damage to all of our enemies within 10 feet. Unlimited power. How much damage, you may ask? half of our sorcerer levels. So, three. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's frustrating. But hey, it scales, if slowly, and it's not nothing, so we'll take it. I really wish Wizards of the Coast would have done something a little more impressive here. I mean, make the range bigger or make it just do equivalent to our sorcerer levels, but it is what it is. Okay, so, for damage report at level 13. I've basically gone over the tactics, but just to review and add round one, fairy fire and hexblade's curse, round two, step up, cast transmuted, 
booming blade if you hit its 1d10 for our longsword, plus 5 for charisma, plus 5 for our proficiency bonus from Hexblade's Curse, plus 2d8 lightning damage, and then you push them, but now we're only going to push them 5 feet away. We, we can push them up to 10 feet, but we just want to do 5 because we want them within 10 feet of us when we then quicken spell chromatic orb at the sixth level uh, or of course you know lightning bolt if you want to hit multiple enemies but then when we start casting that spell the air starts to crackle the wind swirls around us and stormy magic erupts from us to do three lightning damage to that enemy at that point when it hits of course we could then push them 10 more feet from thunderbolt strike because it's any time we do lightning damage. And we did three lightning damage, right? The orb is then fired for 8d8 damage, which we use Destructive Wrath on for 64 damage, plus five for Hexblade's Curse. And they move yet another 10 feet on the enemy's turn. They're 25 feet away from you. If they have to move up, they're gonna take another 3d8 of damage, which we could theoretically apply Destructive Wrath to for 24 flat damage, plus five for Hexblade's Curse. And so actually, yes, because you're then doing lightning damage when they go to move, you could push them yet another 10 feet, which could really lead to a lot of hilarious like ping-ponging of this enemy as they keep getting pushed, pushed, and they try to move and they get pushed again. It will very often prevent an enemy from even getting up to you or another of your allies without taking the dash action. And I know some of you are probably thinking right now, we should have multiclassed into Druid so that we could get spike growth, but no, no more cheese graters. Here's what I'm talking about when I talk about cheese graters, for those of you who may be confused. And actually, I can definitely see an argument here for going that route if you really wanted to, especially if you had another reliable source of advantage, and so you didn't need the concentration from Fairy Fire. But anyway, that's not what we're doing. So against an enemy with a 10 armor class. On average, this round, you would do 147 damage. And against an enemy with a 17 armor class, it would be 143 damage. Very nice. At level 14, we are a Sorcerer 7. We get a seventh level spell slot for upcasting purposes. And we do get fourth level Sorcerer spells. And there are so many good ones, especially for this character. So greater invisibility would be a nice way to give yourself more reliable advantage without having to use fairy fire, right? Since if you cast it on yourself, your enemy wouldn't be able to see you. So unless they had true sight or something, you would just have advantage on all of your attacks against them. Not to mention they would have disadvantage on attacks against you. And there's no saving throw against your fairy fire. Of course, the downside would be that you're not also giving advantage to your allies on potentially multiple targets like you were getting with fairy fire. It's worth considering. Beyond that, I mean, oh, there's Ice Storm, there's Storm Sphere, there's Watery Sphere, all thematically appropriate and useful for control or damage or both. The one that I'll dive into just a smidge here is Wall of Fire. So there's a really fun tactic that we could do here that I'm actually just flat out stealing from Triant Monk. Um, although he did this with a scribe wizard and a tempest cleric. Hi Chris, if you're watching. Most of you, I'm sure, are familiar with Triant Monk, but for the few of you who may not be, be sure to check him out on YouTube. His content is always fantastic. So here's how it works. Wall of Fire can be cast as either a wall that is 60 feet long, 20 feet high, one foot thick, or as a ring that is 20 feet high and 20 feet in diameter. If you transmute the spell, 
when you cast it from fire to lightning and encircle a creature or two inside of it, you could potentially get them kind of stuck there, at least temporarily. So they would take lightning damage right when you cast the spell if the wall like passes through their space. And since it's lightning damage, you could push them back towards the middle of the sphere, right? We're casting it in a sphere here. On the creature's turn, first of all, they wouldn't be able to see through the wall and they would have to move up to try and get out of it. But of course, once they hit the wall, they're going to take lightning damage and therefore we could push them back into the middle. Now, if they have enough move speed, they could move up and through finally, uh, since they only take damage the first time they enter the wall on a turn. But they might not have enough move speed, and of course, on our turn, we could simply do what we've been talking about, right? Hitting them with booming or lightning blade and chromatic orb to just push them right back into the middle of that ring of lightning. And they will be so, so sad. And just imagine if you could trap multiple creatures inside and just keep pinging both of them back into the middle of that ring of lightning on your turn, right? So much fun. At level 15, we are a sorcerer level eight. Heart of the Storm now does four whole damage and we get another ability score increase or feat. And because so much of our damage is lightning now, you should probably, I think, take the elemental adept feat. In fact, you might have wanted to take this back at level eight instead of bumping our charisma to 20. Depending on your table, depending on what kind of creatures you're fighting, this feat lets us choose like an elemental damage type. And from then on, you ignore resistance to damage of that chosen type. And you can also count ones rolled as twos instead when you're rolling for that damage type. Since we're not actually rolling a lot of our Nova damage, thanks to our channel divinity, that doesn't actually do a ton for us. It does a little, and it's a really small bump anyway. Um, and also, this doesn't do anything for creatures that have immunity to lightning damage, unfortunately. It would be really nice if, like, it would let you ignore resistance and then maybe creatures who are immune still take half damage or something, but... Anyway, you will be really glad to have this when you do run into a creature with lightning resistance. But if you'd rather not worry about, you know, those situations, feel free to bump like constitution or wisdom here, I think is, is probably what I would do instead. At level 16, we are a sorcerer level 9, and we get a level 8 spell slot for upcasting purposes. And we also get 5th level sorcerer spells. 5th level spells are so good. Control wind is a fun thematic one. It might not be particularly powerful. Gives some nice, like, potential defensive and utility options. But I mean, you know, animate objects, dominate person, hold monster, synaptic static, which I think is nice and thematic and just some good damage and a huge debuff. Anyway many great options to choose from. Pick your favorites. And finally, at level 17, we are a sorcerer level 10. We get a third metamagic option, and I honestly think there are a few good choices here. Subtle spell is always handy if you need to cast without verbal or somatic components. Twin spell is fun. You could always cast a chromatic orb at two targets instead of one, but just remember that you couldn't do either of those with quickened or transmuted spell, right? I think I might end up going with seeking spell as my third option here, since you can use that with another metamagic option. It costs two sorcery points, so again, it's pretty expensive, but if you miss with a spell, you can use seeking spell to reroll the d20. So, I mean, if by some miracle, we didn't hit with our elven accuracy triple advantage, now we could get a fourth d20, right? So unfair. 
or this could allow you to like go for your Nova round right on round one without waiting for fairy fire first, potentially. You know, maybe you just like round one bonus action, Hexblade's Curse, upcast Chromatic Orb as your action, try and hit them. If it misses, you can Seeking Spell to really increase your likelihood of hitting there. Of course, if it hits, Blow Destructive Wrath. And then on round two, maybe Quicken Fairy Fire and then run up Booming Blade as your action if they're still alive and then you can kind of push them back. It, it just gives us more options. Heart of the Storm, FYI, does five damage now. And Booming Blade does 3d8 damage on a hit and 4d8 damage if and when they move. So final damage report then has us doing pretty much the same tactics as last time we checked, although we saw an increase both in our chromatic orb damage, 10d8 now as an 8th level spell, or 80 flat damage, and just imagine if you crit, as well as a bump to our booming blade damage, our proficiency bonus, and thus our hexblade curse, as well as our chance to hit. So against an enemy with a 10 armor class, on average here we would do 186 damage in a single round, and against an enemy with an 18 armor class we would do 182. Now that is still in the bottom third compared to other Nova builds, but we can Nova more frequently, like I've mentioned, more than any of them but the Whippoorwill right there. And we've got a lot of nice support, utility, and area of effect damage options to boot. And so final thoughts. First off, I will mention, for what it's worth, and without going into too much detail here, if we would have taken the two levels of fighter, two levels of paladin route that I mentioned earlier, at this point we would be doing about 80 more damage on average during our Nova round by getting another booming blade attack thanks to action surge, and then smiting on both of our booming blade attacks with like 5d8 divine smite damage. But you know, we would have lower spell slots, lower spell levels. I mean, giving up synaptic static or hold monster is is not nothing. And so, I don't know. I'm, I'm really happy with how we turned out. I think the character is quite powerful, despite some admittedly slightly lackluster subclass options on the on the source, Storm Sorcerer's part. We do get a little bit of damage out of it, a little bit of utility and, you know, help in staying alive, and the Sorcerer chassis itself fits our needs nicely. The character is quite versatile, I think, with some really strong single target burst, but also really strong area damage burst if we need it, some decent utility and control and support options as well. Most importantly, of course, I think, Thematically, you would feel like a real archon of tempestuous destruction. You would hurl bolts of wrath at your foes, knocking them into oblivion, while the wind and the rain and the thunder surged around you. All, All would, tremble would tremble and, and despair. despair. Except your friends. Your friends would be like, whoa, I'm glad she's on our side. <laughs> so that is the build for the week. Thanks so much for watching. I love you guys. You're fantastic. You really are. Thanks for your support. And I hope that you have a fantastic day and a fantastic week and that you'll check out the other content on the channel, including the sliding into my DMs stuff and, uh, you know, the, the actual play content that we have, Tales of an Area. It's all great, all fun. And um, until next time, take care. See you later.